Red Rocks Church, how's it going? I love it. It's such a beautiful uh, weekend. We're going to have an awesome weekend of uh, service. I say it every time and I'll never quit saying it because I believe it with all of my heart. It will not be awesome if we don't greet everyone at all the other campuses. And so all of our campuses in the Denver metro area, we love you guys, everybody across the pond at Brussels. Man, thank you, God, for technology. I love that we get to be a church family with you guys. And can we do this as always? Can we give such a sweet round of applause and welcome all the men and women at God Behind Bars? We love you guys so much. Such an honor that we get to worship with you week in and week out. I'm going to pray as we get into this new series. Let me just give you a a fair warning um, disclaimer. This new series, God is going to do something. I just know it. We've prepared. We've prayed. We've set the table for God to do what he does. Um, But you still have to dine, right? You still have to show up and you still have to partake. This series is going to be sweet to your soul, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a little sour before it gets sweet, right? And a lot of the best things in life, sometimes that's what happens. This series is going to meddle a little bit with the deepest parts of our soul. And so consider yourself Warren, should we pray after all that? I think we should. Heavenly Father, would you just bless this weekend at all of our campuses? Would you bless the beginning of a new series, God? You did so much redemptive work in our last series. And God, now we're asking that you would continue that as we move in a different direction. God, I pray that it would be prophetic. I pray that it would be a timely word for this church in this season that we find ourselves in. God, take my human words and empower them because of your perfect word. God, we pray this and we believe for this. And everyone at all campuses said... Amen. So as you saw in that awesome bumper video that fired me up, we're starting a new series that we have titled GOAT. We got the title of that series from the Urban Dictionary because that's how we roll around here at Red Rocks Church. Not the dictionary. If we would have got GOAT, GOATs, just so you know, GOAT, we're not talking about an animal. We're talking about an acronym. For those of you like me that need to know what that is, G stands for something. O stands for something. They've already put it up there way too early. Thanks a lot. Ruining all my intro. I was going to have you, I was going to say it stood for like gene ontology annotation tool. Just to call you guys tools, but we won't do that now. We won't do that now. No, in the Urban Dictionary, you're going to find two different definitions. One is an animal and one is an acronym. I have to just because I love it. I have to read the definition of the animal first. It says this, goat, one of the highly intelligent animals that lives in the Rocky Mountains. These creatures actually seem to be smarter than the average human being. However, they don't have all the technology because they lack opposable thumbs. Urban Dictionary. Now, Where we get this series from in the Urban Dictionary is the acronym GOAT, which we already know means the greatest of what? Greatest of all time. A bunch of you guys are going to be on vacation in the next few weeks or the next couple of months, right? A bunch of you guys are going to be in RVs. You're going to be in cars. You're going to be driving for hours at a time. Some of you, you're going to be on planes. You guys are going to be sitting around campfires or around pools at hotels. And can I just tell you, if you're looking for something to make the time go by a little faster while you're traveling, you got to have goat conversations. This is something I specialize in. I love to fight and I love to to debate. God gave me not many gifts, but I know how to use this thing. Even when I'm wrong, I've learned the art of sounding like I'm right. All right you know what I'm saying? My poor wife, right? 
And, and, and here's what you can do with GOAT. GOAT is this. You just ask the question, greatest of all time, band member. Greatest of all time, musician. Greatest of all time, singer. Greatest of all time, athlete. Greatest of all time, uh, movie. You know, and you start to get people in the same car or whatever, and it gets heated, man, because everybody disagrees and has opinions. I love it, especially athletics. The first thing I went to online when I was getting ready for this week was greatest of all time, and I went right to the athletes. I wanted to see what everybody was saying online. And so here's the list of who they called the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, Number one on almost all the lists, whether you agree with it or not, was MJ, greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. Muhammad Ali was on the list. Wayne Gretzky was on the list. When it got to baseball, it was either Babe Ruth or Willie Mays, but I'd like to throw Charlie Blackman into the mix, hit another home run. How awesome are the Rockies right now? Red Rocks, we're in a season of blessing, okay, in the Rocky Mountains. We need to soak this in, all right? We need to write it for all it's worth. Charlie Blackman, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Michael Phelps, Pele, Serena Williams, golf, the great arguments always, Jack and Tiger, right? We need to also pray for Tiger. He's not in a season of blessing right now. I personally think John Daly's the greatest of all time, but that's, uh, that's to be debated. Here's one that will get people fighting, Matt, if you like sports. Greatest quarterback of all time. And we know who it is. We know who it is. It's Tom. <laughs> I'm about to lose my job, right? <laughs> Churchill, Churchill got a lot smaller last week. <laughs> Not to, no, we know. Greatest quarterback of all time clearly is Tim Tebow. We love Jesus at this church. You can't love Jesus and not call Tim Tebow the GOAT. Greatest album of all time. If you want to argue with me, just don't because it's science. Michael Jackson, Thriller. Close second, Pearl Jam 10. Very close third, Garth Brooks, Greatest Hits. Unbelievable. He's coming to Denver. This, God is shining down on us right now. Greatest band of all time, DC Talk. I was doing that to see how many old school Christians, so I know what type of message to preach. DC Talk, though. Greatest movie of all time. Most of the websites said The Godfather. I think it's an incredible movie. I don't think it is better than Braveheart or Shawshank Redemption or Tommy Boy, so I refuse. (laughs) I'm serious, too. You guys laughing. I'm dead serious, man. Those are top three for me. Here's what's crazy, though, about the greatest of all time conversation. As fun as it is, as crazy as it can get, Jesus actually had a moment where he played the goat game which is crazy. You wouldn't even think that existed back then, but Jesus literally had a moment where he was having a conversation with a big group like this, and it was a Jewish audience. And he literally declared someone goat in a particular category. And you wanna know what the category is? Kind of a big one. It was the category of this, greatest human of all time. Like, I wanna know who that is, right? People wanna know because we're always so, uh, we're so involved in comparing ourselves with everybody else to see how we're doing, right? And so Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to give you a litmus test for the greatest human being of all time. Let's read about it. Luke 7, I'll start in 24. It doesn't happen until 28, but I want to give us a little context. After John's messengers left, Jesus had just talked to some of John the Baptist's disciples. They left. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He goes, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Because that's where John lived. A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Because he didn't do that either. No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you come out here to see? He says, you came out to see a prophet. Israel loved their prophets. 
He says, yes, I tell you, John's even. This is a huge statement. We don't have time to go into implications, but this is an incredible statement by Jesus that the Jewish people would have like went, he said, he's even more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And then Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, another great prophet. And what we now have in our Bibles is Isaiah 40, verse 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And then here's the goat conversation. Here it is. Jesus gets into it. He says, I tell you. Now you got to imagine what this Jewish crowd would have thought in this moment. Among those born of women. That's key there. Born of women. Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Not Moses, not Abraham, Father Abraham, not King David, not Esther, not Ruth, not Elijah, not even Isaiah, who's quoted in this passage, not Peter, not Paul, not Mary, another great band, (laughs) goat for hippies, right? Another great band. None of those guys. All those people I just mentioned are literally five-star generals in God's redemptive story. He used them in profound and prophetic ways, right? But Jesus says, hey, all the people that you guys admire, all the people, the the Jewish people were so into their religion, this is the type of debate they would have had for the greatest of all time. Is it Moses or is it Elijah? Is it Elijah or is it Isaiah? Is it Peter or is it Paul or is it Apollos or is it John or is it James? Because those were the heroes of the day. And Jesus goes, no, there's nobody like John the Baptist. If he, if they were so into the observance of behavior and Torah and ethics and moralism. They were so into how well they could simply adhere to rules that Jesus goes, all right, if you want to know who's the best at the old covenant approach to life, John's got you all beat. And they'd have been like, really? And here's what's crazy. There was a bunch of Pharisees in this crowd. We'll see that later. And a bunch of Sadducees. And you know what they were? Pros at piety. They were like the heroes of the day. They were the ones the kids would have had posters up if they had posters back then. They would have had posters up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and argued about which one in their temple was the greatest. And you know how offensive that would have been to them? That this obscure, odd, weird-dressing hipster guy that lives out in the Boulder area of their town? (laughs) Like, Like he's the greatest of all time and Jesus says, yeah, but Jesus says something so interesting. He says, I tell you of those born of women, but you know what? There's not a period there. There's a semicolon. And you know what it says next? In fact, let's read Luke 7, 28 again. It says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. When it comes to the old standard of living, John's as good as it gets. He's goat. But then what's he say next? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Think about that. Jesus was pronouncing in that moment, there is a new covenant and a new kingdom that is here. When Jesus came, the kingdom of God was restored back to earth, right? When he came, the kingdom of God was here. And Jesus is saying, as good as John is at the old covenant, he is the prophet of Old Testament prophets. Nobody's greater and more important than John because John is going to be the prophet that ultimately sets me up to announce and to ultimately on the cross show you an opportunity for a new covenant and here's how awesome Red Rocks Church we have to stop in this state here's how awesome your salvation is and my salvation is if John is the best at obeying and John is the best at human motives and John is the best at ethical behavior and John is the greatest human born of all time Jesus just said you can actually be better than John the least in the kingdom of heaven is better than John 
if you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are literally greater than John. And what Jesus is trying to tell this Jewish audience that is so into Torah observance and so into behavior modification and so into um, ethical hoop jumping, what Jesus is trying to say, he's trying to, without being mean, offend their senses to go this new covenant, as Hebrews 8 tells us, is founded on such better promises than your old way of thinking. Jesus proves this when he's on the cross. Do you remember who was next to him on the cross? There was a thief, a thug. Potentially, we don't know for sure, but a lot of theologians believe he was also a murderer. And all he said to be in paradise with Jesus, the only thing he had on his resume of anything remotely good was one statement, one seed, if you will, of faith. He said what? Would you let me be with you? Can I go where you're going? That's all he said, and what's Jesus say? No, you're a murderer and a thug and a punk, and you haven't taken my old loss serious. He says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the beauty of salvation. He's saying, hey, look, John, John the Baptist is going to be in heaven. Make no mistake about it. But what he's saying is if John the Baptist wasn't in heaven, didn't receive the free grace of Jesus Christ, even the criminal on the cross is of greater value than John the Baptist, even though their lives didn't look remotely the same. That's how awesome the salvation that we live and have is, Right? So I want to do this in my, my couple weeks of this series. I want to talk about the implications of salvation because they're way bigger than I think a lot of people in our church assume. We hear the word salvation and we simply think about grace. We simply think about forgiveness. We simply think about God giving us mercy in Christ Jesus. But we're going to see in this series that our salvation is so much more than that. So I want to read a classic verse about our salvation. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 10. You're going to hear it a lot if you come to this church because it's foundational to the gospel. And it says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved. If you're new to church, hear me for a minute. When I'm talking about grace, we're talking about the biblical definition of it, which is this. It is unmerited, undeserved favor from God. It is a gift. It says it in this verse. For it is by grace you and I have been saved through what? Faith. The same faith that thief on the cross had to say, hey, could I go with you? I really think you have the power to take me. I really think by default you're Jesus. You're the Lord. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yeah. So it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Listen to this. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift. Everybody at all campuses say gift real quick. You are a product of a gift. It is not by works. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to groups of people that have spent their whole life in works. It is not by works so that nobody can boast, okay? Now, a lot of people in the contemporary church love those two verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? But we do a massive disservice to what it means to be saved when we don't read the next verse. Because here's what it says. It says grace doesn't just forgive, grace empowers, right? Let's read it. Verse 10, Paul goes on to write, for we are God's handiwork. That's beautiful. When God does work, he does good work. You're good work right now, whether you feel like it or not, okay? For you are God's handiwork created, here's the key two words, in Christ Jesus. Paul used that more than any other term to talk about salvation. He used, you're in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has forgiven you. He's taken your punishment and given you his blessing. Okay, so we were created once you're in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't typically in the modern church talk about grace and works in the same sermon. But we have to talk about grace and works because grace is actually what fuels our works. Do you understand that? Grace is actually the fuel with which we do the things God originally intended us to do before sin got in the way. Before our fall, the fall of man got in the way. We were created to do all kinds of good things through our salvation. And Red Rocks Church, listen to me. If you and I are going to walk in the purpose that God prepared in advance for each one of us to do, if you're going to do that, there is a particular aspect of salvation that you have to embrace and understand. And this particular aspect we're going to talk about this weekend is, is so misunderstood by the masses. And so I'm going to spend this series and the part that I play, I'm going to spend clearing it up and talking about this word because this is the word that John was all about. If you could summarize John the Baptist, the greatest of all time, the goat, if you could summarize his ministry in one word, his preaching in one word, it's this, repentance. Repentance is not the totality of salvation. We often think repentance and salvation are interchangeable words. They're not. I would say this, if salvation is a body, a human body, then repentance is one of the vital organs. But there is so much more to salvation than just repentance, but you cannot experience salvation without repentance. We would call it the heart or the brain. The minute that's, I mean, you can lose some function of some organs and stay alive for a while, right? But you can't lose the heart or the brain, right? And, and repentance is kind of like that. If you don't understand that part of salvation, every other aspect is going to be frustrating. And it's not going to be what it was meant to be. You cannot do the purposes God prepared in advance for you to do, which is where the sweet spot of life really comes in, if you do not understand repentance. So we're going to talk about it because repentance is always the forerunner to a full life. There is no other pathway to, to the full life than being a person of repentance. Repentance is what always prepares you for an increased degree of intimacy with Jesus. Let's read Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea and saying, here it is, here's his theme. He preached it everywhere he went. Repent. Why? Jesus is here. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one who was spoken of, John the Baptist, through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then it gets off on a rabbit trail, but I love it. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Awesome. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, so he's got gluten issues. So he does that. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Listen to this. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, remember, the professionals at piety, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come into where he was baptizing, he said to them, and think about American pastor using this kind of language with the congregation. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, John. John just didn't care, man. I need more John in my life. He said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he says something so important that we finish up talking about this weekend. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, your salvation is not real if it's not producing something. 
And that's harsh and that's tough and we don't talk that language a lot. We need to talk it more often because people need to really know if they are saved or not. Eternity is at stake. It's part of the reason we're, we're, we're doing a sermon series that's sobering and we're meddling with our souls a little bit. You cannot just be a person who says, I'd love that free gift of grace so that I can go back and be everything that I was before I came and cheaply and freely receive that gift of grace. Paul says it himself, grace is not a license to be immoral. It's not a license to jump right back in to the old way you were living. And John's saying this to them, and he says it to us, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. They were banking on the fact that they were good with God because of their DNA. And John goes, God could care less about the bloodline you came through. You're not a child of Abraham because of your DNA, although you can genealogically prove it. You're a child of Abraham because of your faith. Faith is what makes you a child of Abraham, not your bloodline. He says, so stop that noise to them. He says, I tell you that out of these stones that God can raise up children for Abraham. And then John says something serious. He says, the ax is already at the root of the trees. Jesus is here. This is getting serious, he's saying. A whole new covenant's about to happen. He says, the ax is at the root of the trees. And then listen to this. Every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Salvation always produces good fruit. And so I just want to wrap up this weekend's message, week one, by talking about some basics and some fundamental important things you have to know about what repentance is because we are people if you are a Christ follower, you are a person of repentance, whether you know it or not. You cannot walk in the fullness of your salvation, not even remotely close, if you are not a person of perpetual repentance. And so the first thing I want to clear up that a lot of people misunderstand is this. Repentance is not merely confession. I would say, the way I said salvation, if it's our body, that repentance is a vital organ, I would say this, if repentance was a body, confession would be a vital organ. You can't repent, because here's why. Write this down if you're taking notes. Repentance is simply this. It's a changing of the mind that eventually changes your heart, and whatever happens in your heart is who you are. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the changing of the mind about something or someone that causes you to have a change of heart and out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. Proverbs 23 says that as a man thinketh in his heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All you are right now is a byproduct of your thought life, if you really think about it. Everything we do, everything we experience, everything we participate in, how we handle situations, how we handle prosperity, how we handle adversity, all of those things are a byproduct of what you think about those things because what you think about those things becomes who you are and who you are then determines how you respond. Confession is a gift from God. Let me give you some good news about confession. It's an integral part of repentance. You're not, a you're not a person of repentance if you're not a person of perpetual confession. Jesus, or John says this about Jesus in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if you will confess your sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to cleanse you and purify you of all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome news? That's the new covenant. That, that didn't work that way in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, this is why it's founded on better promises. When you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse you, 
purify you of all. Unra- There's a purifying effect that comes with confession vertically. But the Bible doesn't stop there. We also confess horizontally. James says, confess your sins, what? One to another in community. Why? That you may find healing. There is a healing effect that comes from the accountability of not just vertically confessing your mess to God, but confessing your mess to people. There's something powerfully healing. See, repentance is a gift. And I know on the front end, you hear the word repentance and it feels overwhelming and it feels like, oh, I got to peer into my heart and look at the dark parts of who I am and I'm already exhausted as it is and I don't know that I want, you know, but no, confession is a beautiful thing. Repentance, though, is not just confession. That's just a part of it. It's more than that. The second misconception is this. Repentance is not a one-time deal. You need to understand this. It's a perpetual state of the Christian life. I want to give you a definition. It's not holistic. It doesn't sum up repentance. In fact, I wrote it this week. It's my definition, okay? That tells you it's not perfect, all right? But here's what, it is. Here's what I want us to see so you understand when I'm saying repentance. Repentance is an ongoing commitment to recognize any discrepancies between your will and God's will and your thoughts and God's thoughts and then listen to this and then do something about it. If repentance was just confession, you could call a spade a spade or a golden calf a golden calf, as we talked about last week, and move on. Be done. No, we confess it, but then we do something by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We do something about it. So that's what repentance is. It's an ongoing, notice I said ongoing commitment. Because there's going to be all kinds of different seasons and phases of life. The natural bent of all of our hearts is to move us, is it not, in the direction of rebellion. Not sanctity, rebellion. We, we're, we're living in a world right now that's pulling us always in the direction of rebellion from God's way of living, not to God's way of living. And so we have to constantly hold our hearts accountable through repentance. It's perpetual. I, put, I, I said it like this in my notes. You can't go to the gym once and hope to be ripped, right? You can't confess something once and hope to walk in the fullness of the purpose God planned for you in advance. You can't go to the gym and be ripped immediately. You can't repent once and be strong in your spiritual man and in your stature. Do you know what you do to build muscle? This is basic. You rip the muscle, then you feed the muscle, then you rest the muscle, right? We know that. That's, that's, that's basic physiology right there about muscle growth, about getting stronger. You rip it, we do that, right? By pressure, by resistance, we go to the gym. Let's call it what it is. We rip it and then we feed it and then we rest it. And then you know what you do next? Repeat. Rip, feed, repeat. And so I'm gonna show you something about repentance that you might not think of. There is an incredible relationship between being a person of repentance and being a person of the word of God. You cannot just, and I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. You don't read the Bible to impress God or impress people. If you do, you'll just always feel condemned. God's God's not checklisting how much you read the Bible. He didn't give this to you so you could impress him. He's impressed with you because he sees Jesus in you, nothing else. He's fully impressed with you if you're in Christ. He did not give us this gift, this love letter from him, so that we could show off with how much we read it. He gave it to us so we could be people of repentance. You can't change your mind if you don't know where your mind's wrong and where it's right. Do you know what tells you the mind of Christ? Not osmosis. This thing right here. 
This is the mirror that we hold up in front of ourselves to see what's good and to see where the blemishes are, to see what's healthy and to see what needs help. This is the mirror that we have been given, not for our physical bodies, but for our spirit man. man. And this does everything. This thing right here, it rips the muscle of your spirit man, it feeds it, and it brings rest. And that is the beauty of repentance. Let me show you what I mean. When I talk about rip it, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. You ready for the word? It cuts. Do you see that? It rips. It, it gets into the deepest part. If your spirit man is like a muscle, it rips the muscle. It cuts the muscle. Why? Not to destroy it. It cuts the muscle to build it. To get it stronger. That's what the word of God does. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, Red Rocks. It cuts to dividing. It says, soul and spirit, your joints and your marrow. Paul's using language to say it gets into the deepest crevices of who you are. Why? To judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the human heart. Oh, how beautiful the word of God is because it allows us to judge ourselves instead of being judged by life and judged by God. This is the beauty of repentance. When you're in the word of God, you are repenting. When you are in the word of God, you are practicing repentance because it is judging your heart and it is judging your thoughts and it is judging your attitudes, not to punish you, but to bring you more life. It rips you. And then here's the beauty of the word of God. It also feeds the muscle. Jesus was in a really difficult, precarious situation he had just been baptized by who? Goat, John the Baptist. You know you're goat if you get to baptize the creator of the universe. <laughs> he gets baptized by John the Baptist, goes into the wilderness, fast for 40 days. The enemy's messing with him the whole time, the devil. At one point he says, hey, I know you're hungry, so why don't you, if you're God, take those stones and turn it into bread? And you know what Jesus says? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of what? The mouth of God. Every word that proceeds. This doesn't just rip the muscle of our spirit, man. It feeds it. Like it, it's what is ultimately gonna be the next phase in giving it strength. This is why you can't do this enough. This is why, and hear me when I say this, coming to church once a week and hoping that whatever we talk about out of God's word is enough for your spirit, man, to be everything it's supposed to be from Monday till the next time we meet, it's never gonna be for you what you hope. You're going to end up resenting church if the only feeding of your soul you get is at church. You understand that? You will, I've seen this cycle in so many people. They end up resenting church. Listen, church at best is milk. Not because we don't necessarily sometimes go deep, but because we can only go so far in a few minutes once a week. And do you remember where Paul said in the Bible, hey, hey guys, listen, Church of Corinth, you guys are still on milk you should have learned those rudimentary truths a long time ago so we could actually go to some deeper truths and get your muscles stronger. But we have to keep coming back to milk. If you, if you killed it at a CrossFit workout and then you went home and there was a table full of three cartons of milk and a plate of chicken and vegetables, which one do you think is going to feed the, the muscles better? Hey, well, it's the chicken and the vegetables if you don't know that. If you drink three cartons of milk, you're going to the emergency room, right? <laughs> Here's the truth. In milk, there's some protein, right? In milk, there's some rebuilding characteristics for your muscle. But do you know how much milk you would have to drink in order to get the protein that you get from a simple plate of chicken? And Paul's going like, you, at some point, you got to quit thinking that there's enough protein in the simple teachings of Christ to get the meat. 
And if you just bank on church being what you need, you're just getting milk. And you're trying to have a strong spirit, man, and be strong in the Lord. And you're hoping that these sermons do it all for you. And I'm like, you're going to, I don't care if it's Billy Graham preaching. You're still over time going to be failed. At some point, you just go to the gym every day, right? You deal with that muscle every day. You rip, you feed, and you repeat. How, let me put it this way, and I'm going to be a bit graphic, but I'll, I'll, I'll do good. Chad, please, be good. I hear my wife right now going, don't do it, don't do it. Isn't it a little weird when a little kid feeds from the mother a little too long? I'm trying to put this nicely. <laughs> Does, isn't there a day, and, and I don't know the, the, the science, but there's a day where it goes from, yeah, that's the kids getting fed by mom to, no. <laughs> he just asked for it verbally, no. <laughs> no, maybe that's the rule right there. If they can verbally ask for it, you're done. <laughs> I'm getting so many emails, shoot. Band, come out, quick. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, though, or is it just me? There's an odd moment where you see someone, it's usually in Boulder, but you see someone, (laughs) and you're like, no, stop. Gerber, now, right? But if, if a kid, now, now here's where it gets graphic, weird. It's already been so weird. <laughs> Don't do this next service, right? No, but, but if, think if a kid kept getting older and older and that kept being practiced, it's, it's like, no. But do you know how many believers are banking on milk for the rest of their life? You're 10 years, you're 12 years, you're 15 years in and you're still hoping the Sunday sermon is enough for you? At some point in the kingdom, they're maybe like, stop. Like, no, you got to feed yourself. You got you to get some. There's so much stuff in here that God wants to reveal to you that he couldn't possibly reveal to you simply in this dynamic. This dynamic is sacred and important, but it's not everything. It's just a part of it, right? So the word of God, it feeds you. But at some point, you're going to cross over from milk to meat. And you know what that does? It's more protein. You know what that does? It takes the same workout you did three years ago in the Bible, but now when you read it, you're getting so much more protein to feed the muscle because you have such a greater and increased understanding of it, the total story, because you've spent time just repetitiously coming back and walking in the repentance that comes from the word of God. The last thing is rest. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. And then he says this, take my yoke, it's easy. Yoke is a term, when he said that, back 2,000 years ago for a rabbinical teaching. They would say, you know, I've talked about this several months ago. A, a rabbi, the degree of the yoke he put on you was the degree of the law he demanded that you walk in, in his church, his setting. Jesus says, my yoke's easier than all of theirs. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And in this word, we not only rip it, the the word doesn't just penetrate and judge us, it feeds us. But you know what else it does? It brings rest, man. You start to read verses like Hebrews 10, 14, where it says we've been made perfect forever, even though we're still a work in progress, and you, you just feel rest. You start to read verses about being justified by grace through faith and that it's a gift and you, you don't have to brag or boast or keep up or compare anymore because Jesus has made you perfect in God's eyes. You start to get an understanding of the depths of the gospel and not only does it bring you rest, but it gives you vitality to walk in that purpose that you were created in advance to do. 
right? That's the, that's the, that's the beauty of it. It rips, it feeds, it brings you rest, and then you know what you do? You repeat. And we know this, man, the ultimate key to being healthy isn't some new fad, it's just consistency. It's just doing it over and over and over and over. You just show up when you feel like it. Some days you have killer workouts. And some days you show up and you go, man, that, was, that, that stunk. But what you didn't realize is you still burnt 500 calories. You may have thought it stunk, but you burned 500 more calories than you would have if you would have went home and sat on the couch. You just show up and you go, I don't feel it. You know how many times I've read this and go, God, I feel nothing right now, but I'm here because I believe in it and it's changed my life. This is what we do. Repentance is not this one-time ethereal transaction between you and God. Repentance is actually a beautiful word for relationship. That's what it is. But we have a call. 1 Peter 1.13 says, prepare your minds for action. Osmosis will not give you more of Jesus. Action will. Grace and action, grace and works are not against each other. They're just working together. They're a beautiful dance and it's about order. Grace goes first and out of that comes works. Second Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought until it's obedience to Christ. How do you change your mind? How do you get obedient to Christ? How do you repent? When, when you think something that God doesn't. How do you repent when your will is different than God's will? You take captive every one of those thoughts that's leading you to those actions until sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a decade, but you take captive, you commit to that, your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ until things change. Paul writes in Romans 12, we love this verse around here. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in other words, grace is the fuel towards good works. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Listen to this, holy, we're called to that. Holy and pleasing, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Now listen to this, this is repentance language. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but what? Be transformed, how? We, we renew our minds. That does not happen by osmosis. We renew our minds by this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then here's the good news. Remember you were created for a purpose in advance? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. That's what you want. That's what we want. That's what we come here for. Just teach me a little bit more about God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for my life. And what I can tell you is this. I can't tell you where you're supposed to live, what city. I can't tell you what job you're supposed to have. I can't tell you with full integrity, uh, you know, the right spot to be in. That's what we always want to know when it's time to make decisions. What would God do here? And, 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 and a lot of times God's going, man, when it comes to location, occupation, situation, education, vacation, I wrote all those things down that we get so worried about. God's going, listen, you focus on sanctification and I will bless Location, occupation, situation, education, vacation. But we go, God, tell me to make the right choice so that you bless these things. And God goes, the right choice is you continually be a person of repentance. You continually renew your mind to this. And in doing that, you watch how I bless all of those things that you go crazy about and lose peace about and have anxiety about. You focus on that. Now, this takes trust. This takes trust. I'd way rather spend all my time vetting schools and vetting jobs and getting plaques on the wall and trying to earn a bunch of money so I can have all the location, occupation, situation, education, vacation. I, you know, because then we get to control it. But God says, no, 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 no. You worry about sanctification. You worry about what I'm doing in you 
and what happens through you will not only be blessed, it will be sweet. And that's what God wants for us, but we have to be people of repentance. I've said my piece. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray in these next few minutes that you would bless this word, that you would solidify this word, that you would take parts of it and speak specifically to each person in here, whatever part of it they most needed to hear. God, I thank you that we don't have to read your word out of duty or out of guilt or condemnation, but we get to read your word because it literally changes us from the inside out. God, I pray that we would be people of repentance. We would be people that are constantly having our mind changed to look more and to think more and to act more ultimately like the mind of Christ. May we be those people. Give us the grace and strength we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.